and welcome to The Personal Investor. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, we have, at last, a new Prime Minister, and their to-do list is lengthy. We'll assess their most pressing priorities and ask what the market will be looking for in the new Prime Minister. And then a whistle-stop tour of global markets and the challenges facing them. Is there anywhere where investors can be optimistic about right now? If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. After a long leadership campaign in which the result has rarely seemed in doubt, Liz Truss has, as expected, entered Downing Street as the newly installed Prime Minister. The journalistic cliché at times like these is that she has an inbox bursting with problems that need immediate attention. But that cliché is more justified this time, perhaps than ever before. The immediate threat of energy bills will require an historically significant intervention within days. And then will have to come the longer-term plan to build an economy that can pay for it. To talk over the options for Prime Minister Truss and their likelihood of success. I'm joined by Fidelity Investment Director Tom Stevenson. Tom, welcome along. Uh, We're going to talk about global stock markets as well today, uh, and we'll do that in a little bit. But we have to start with the selection of a new Prime Minister. You feel that whatever happens between now and the next general election, this first few days, and the plan for dealing with this next few months, uh, including the winter, of course, they're going to be the most important things that this Prime Minister does. Yeah, absolutely, Ed. And uh, very often, um, you know, we talk when we get a new uh, prime minister or a new president uh, about the first 100 days and what they're going to achieve in uh, in that period of time and how crucial that is in terms of um, making their mark and, uh, and and gaining gaining the trust of the people who have who have elected them. Now, of course, um, Liz Truss has, has not been elected. Uh, we've not had an election. Um, she's uh, in Downing Street as a result of the, the sort of quirks of the, um, of the uh, uh, electoral system here in the UK and in particular the Conservative Party's uh, system. But I don't think she probably has 100 days. I think that the, the situation is, is a great deal more um, urgent um, than, than that. Um, and uh, you know she she hasn't got a mandate um, for the reasons that I've just said. She hasn't been elected by the people, so I think uh, she's going to be under intense scrutiny. And the and the circumstances are, as you say, uh, extremely uh, difficult and very urgent. Uh, and, and partly they're urgent because uh, the process of electing her took so long. You know, the 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 the, the former prime minister Boris Johnson resigned at the beginning of July and here we are at the beginning of September. We've effectively wasted two really important months in which decisions could have been made to um, to, to sort out the, the, the energy crisis or at least to ameliorate it. Um, and, and, and we haven't had that opportunity because of the process. Yeah, and, it, and you know, as an illustration of exactly how fast things have been changing in the, the last few months, as you say, at a time when... Um, it's been difficult for the government to come up with policy because Boris Johnson's not going to want to bind the hands of his successor, or maybe he does, but he won't. Um, and you can see how quickly things have changed by the the change in Liz Truss's own sort of analysis and sort of diagnostic of, of the of the situation. She started the campaign uh, saying, in answer to questions around around help for for the cost of living crisis and particularly targeted help on energy bills. She backed away from that at the start and she said, no, she didn't want to do it. She did want to do tax cuts. That's her political background. But the the, the feeling now, the narrative is certainly that she's going to have to do something pretty interventionist on 
energy bills, certainly for households. And that's a big change, isn't it, from where she started the campaign just a few weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, you know, her her political instincts are precisely what she has been talking about during the um, leadership uh, campaign. Uh, tax cuts, not handouts, as uh, as she would uh, as she would put it. Um, and I think that um, that approach has been. Um, you know, has been pretty much vilified um, by some pretty serious um, economic voices. Um, I mean, Paul, Paul Johnson at the uh, Institute for Fiscal Studies um, most most notably um, said that that he thought that her her proposed um, tax cut policies would um, would would uh, I think he's used the expression crash the the UK economy. So pretty pretty you know uh, I- immoderate stuff um, from 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 someone like him. So I, I think that you know she was talking to a to a, a, a narrow uh, cross section of, of the Conservative Party, not the country as a whole. And I thought now that election is out of the way, um, I, I think we may well see her her approach differ. Um, quite markedly from what she said, she she really doesn't really have the luxury of of not um, uh, providing support to the people who really need it as we move towards the winter. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the IFS there. I wrote about this whole situation and the new prime minister at the weekend and uh, quoted their analysis and Paul Johnson's analysis in particular. And he and he essentially said, look, what Liz Truss has been speaking about up until that point, which was removing green levies, it was talking about VAT, and he just said it was completely uh, inadequate for the task, essentially, and that a much more direct bailout was probably going to be necessary, but he said it would be very, very expensive, and you can see some of the numbers being banded around over £100 billion. That puts furlough in the shade uh, in terms of the cost. Uh, And then he said it would be a very regressive thing as well, because if you're going to help everyone out, you can't target that help. Um, It can't be redistributive and it can't help the people most in need. That's the challenge that she has coming in. Yeah, I mean, and it is and it is a massive challenge. I mean, you mentioned that hundred billion uh, cost. I mean, I don't think anyone really knows what what the cost uh, is likely to be. But I think the expectation was that the government would uh, borrow about a hundred billion pounds this year. So it's likely that they're going to borrow twice as much as they thought um, as a consequence of this um, uh, energy crisis. So it is kind of similar in a way to the uh, to the, the the early pandemic response because then Rishi Sunak was uh, was also an instinctive. The small government uh, tax cutter, and he and he realised that he had no choice but to but to spend a lot of money. And I suspect that we're going to see something similar. Liz Truss is through gritted teeth going to have to spend a lot of money. That's right. And she has said um, whatever comes within a few days, we expect some kind of plan on on the cost of living and energy bills in particular. And a little further out from that, we're going to have uh, what's being termed a fiscal event. Um, And the reason it's called a fiscal event is they can't call it a budget. And what do we expect to happen at this fiscal event, Tom? Yeah, well, I mean, she's she's got she's got two issues here. One is the immediate um, firefighting that she needs to do. Um, So there's 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 the crisis management, which absolutely has to be her first uh, priority. But she she is looking um, uh, further out than that. She's looking at at least the next two years, because uh, the next general election does not need to be held, I think, until the the, 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 the first few weeks of um, 2025. So anyway, just over two years. Um, and um, 
so she she does have the opportunity to reshape um, uh, the government and the country in the way that that she wants, and in, and she has very clear and strongly held views about tax. We've we, we've talked about um, small state personal responsibility. I mean, in some ways, it's a it's a it's a it's a revisiting of. Um, um, uh, Thatcherite um, economic policy in some ways, um, and so I think that when we come to the the the, the fiscal event, the the sort of you know quasi budget, as you say, we will start to get a sense of that. So I think there are two things we'll see: we'll see this initial firefighting, but then I think we'll we'll start to see then get a sense of uh, her longer term aspirations. What we won't see, Tom, is any sort of economic forecasting or really the effect on on the government's accounts from all this because uh what marks out um a fiscal event versus a budget is is proper official economic forecasts of those kinds and uh listen it's a little bit convenient that they won't be there on hand because it may well have been that the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, might say something negative about her plans when it comes to the public finances. In fairness, it may not be time. There may not be time to draw up those kind of those, those kind of plans. And I suspect what you say is absolutely true. She won't want to abandon all the all the low tax free market stuff this soon into the job. But she has this pressing need of helping out in a really really big um, sort of showy sort of way in order to reassure people. So it's going to be, yeah, an, an, an odd moment. We may see some headline taxes fall or scheduled to fall, but you're also going to see big, big handouts. Yeah, she's walking a real tightrope. Um, she she has to um, uh, uh, not disappoint the uh, the people that, that put her in power immediately. Um, uh, that is that is the risk of, uh, you know, if she's seen to be sort of betraying the people who who put her into to down the street, she's not going to want to do that. Um, but, you know, in some ways she has she has little choice but to disappoint them a little bit. It's a very tricky balance she's trying to achieve. Yeah, indeed. And uh, to use another journalistic cliche, Tom, uh, she's been dealt a difficult hand. Um, and given given the card she has been given what is the best that we can expect in terms of an outcome economically over the next few months maybe the next year is it unrealistic to expect any prime minister coming in to now to to really change the the course of the economy can we avoid recession what's the market going to be looking for when it comes to this new prime minister well i mean the market is 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 already um, voting with its feet. I mean, we are, w w there, is, there is a great deal of um, anxiety within the markets about, uh, um, about her proposed uh, plans and about the economic backdrop, um, which as you say, is the, is the hand that she has been dealt. And, and there's, there's not a lot that she can do about that. We're on that path uh, towards a, a probable um, recession and probably quite a long recession. Uh, I mean, the Bank of England said recently that it expects uh, uh, economic output to decline in the in the in the final three months of this year and throughout next year. Uh, I think there's a distinct possibility that actually um, the, the recession will will kick in earlier than the last three months um, uh, of this year. But what we're seeing in, in the markets is we're seeing um, a bit of a run on uh, government debt, um, gilts, 
the, the yields on, on those have risen very quickly uh, and quite, quite sharply. Just since the beginning of August, the, uh, the, the yield on the 10-year on the gilt has gone from 1.8% to 3%. Um, so that's a very significant sell-off uh, of gilts. And, you know, we are likely to see a glut of bonds uh, on the market. The Bank of England uh, is reversing quantitative easing. So that's effectively putting bonds into the market. The government is going to be issuing a lot of bonds because it's going to be borrowing a lot of money, as we've, as we've already uh, discussed. So it's hard to see that gilt yields are, are not going to continue uh, rising from here. And then at the same time, um, we're seeing significant weakness in the pound. So the pound has now fallen to um, uh, beneath uh, $1.15. So actually, uh, it's lower now than it was in the immediate aftermath uh, of the um, the Brexit vote uh, and also the uh, the early days of the pandemic, so uh, th- there's a lot of um, scepticism about the health of the UK economy. And I've been reading up this morning for for a piece that I'm writing just about um, what happened in 1976, uh, which was you know a not dissimilar circumstance. We had an energy um, fueled uh, economic uh, crisis. We had uh, a, a run on the pound, and uh, the the, uh, the then Chancellor of the Exchequer, Dennis Healy, famously was on his way to Hong Kong uh, for a finance minister's meeting, and he actually turned round at Heathrow and drove back <laughs> to Downing Street to request a bailout from the International Monetary Fund. Now, no one's suggesting that uh, that's going to happen again, um, but the reminders of that period in the 1970s, which I vaguely remember, I was quite young, but I vaguely remember it, uh, are, are pretty stark. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 as I said, I was writing as well about this at the weekend, and it, there may not be much that she can do to really change the fundamentals, the, the you know, the commodity prices, the energy prices that... Um, that, that we're facing internationally, globally, this, these are problems. But she can she can make things worse if she's not careful. And what I think the market may be looking for and the economy will want, not just the market actually, but even just households, they want to know that there's some light at the end of the tunnel. If it's a, if it's a really, really difficult winter and it's hard to see how it won't be, they want to know that the, the things are going to recover in time. Um, and I think about things that she said in the leadership campaign about, for example, the Bank of England and its independence and its mandate. The market needs to know that there won't be sort of tinkering that's going to undermine longer term confidence in in the UK economy, because we're in a, a sort of international race at the moment, aren't we? You know, the, many, many governments are coming up with their responses and it could be possible for any kind of economy to be left behind if you get it if you get it wrong once the recovery comes. Yes, I agree with that. And I think that one of the things that, that um, uh, markets will be uh, looking for is some consistency in policy. Um, because if, um, uh, if, the, if the government is uh, effectively introducing fiscal stimulus by cutting uh, taxes, then that is inflationary. And that actually makes the Bank of England's job harder. The Bank of England is trying to get on top of inflation uh, by tightening monetary policy. And those two things are actually pulling in opposite directions, potentially. And I think that uh, that's one of the reasons why um, markets are, are concerned, because it just feels like an incoherent uh, policy. OK, well, listen, um, 
this is going to be revealed uh, as the weeks and months go on. And I dare say we're going to re- uh, return once again to, to, to Liz Truss and her agenda. But, Tom, I did promise that we would uh, talk about more than just the new Prime Minister today. And I wanted to talk about markets more widely around the world. And, Tom, you've been looking this week uh, at the performance of different asset classes. You've looked at a chart that we regularly produce, uh, which shows um, the performance of different a- asset classes year by year by year. It's always a worthwhile exercise. What is it telling us this time round? Yeah, so this is a table that we sort of track on a regular basis. So we call it the Smarties uh, table. And the reason uh, for that is it's a kind of multicoloured uh, table which uh, shows the vertical lines, the columns, uh, uh, show individual years. And then within those individual years, we have, you know, different um, uh, cells, if you like, showing the different uh, performance of different asset uh, classes, uh, different geographical regions, uh, bonds, shares, commodities, etc., etc. And um, what it always shows is a variety of performances from different asset classes within a within a given year. And, and it's a you know it's an argument for diversification because what it gen- generally shows is that some assets go up and some assets go down in any given year. Now. Occasionally you have bad years when the majority of assets fall and you have good years when the majority of assets uh, rise. But it's always a it's always a mixture. Um, I can't actually remember a year when um, every single asset has fallen. Now, in, interestingly, uh, I looked recently at um, uh, the, the year to date um, and it came pretty close to that. Actually, <laughs> because good to say. there were very few assets <clears throat> which actually um, uh, shone out as a beacon of light um, uh, this year. Now, this is going it was actually the, the, the data was was from the end of May. So it was actually before that summer rally. But at that time, it did show that the only assets which had risen uh, year to date were commodities, which had done extremely well. Uh, the UK stock market, which had basically trod water, yeah. uh, which was a pretty good result compared to many other uh, stock markets. And the only other asset which actually was in positive territory was cash. Um, so, um, you know, first yeah. five months of this year, as we know, were, were very difficult. Well, that's it. I mean, I'm familiar with that with that uh, that table. So, I mean, and it, the smartest table is sort of instructive, that name, because the whole point is, uh, it's a very trendless sort of table, isn't it? It's basically a mishmash of colours. That's what's called the Smarties table. And it's very random seeming. And that speaks to the fact, as you say, that these different assets hardly show any kind of correlation. I no, mean, they, they bounce around all over the yeah. place. And that's, and that's the point, because at the, you know, at the beginning of any year, uh, it's, it's more or less impossible to predict you know, what the order of um, performance uh, will, will, will be. Um, so, as I say, it is a, it's a very strong argument for, for diversification because, it, you know, it, putting your eggs in all of those baskets will definitely smooth your ride. Yeah, smooth this year probably doesn't mean um, no loss. It probably means a lower loss. Um, have, I mean, you mentioned there may have been some ports in the storm. Was it realistic for people to avoid losses this year based on um, asset allocation, Tom? Because... Sure, there's bound to be the odd asset that, that, that is in positive territory, but how realistic is it that someone's going to plump for that in a kind of serious way? Yes, I mean, I mean, it would have been extremely difficult this year because although it, although uh, the headline figure said that commodities had had a good um, performance, in reality, that was really um, the oil price which had, which had risen. Many commodities actually performed rather badly because they were anticipating uh, recession. Uh, the UK, as I say, really just has basically moved sideways uh, for the last year or so. So I think um, 
you know, you can you can reduce your losses by being well diversified. But when things are really difficult, as they have been, you know, you are going to lose money, I'm afraid. OK, well, well finally, talk, I mean, I, I was going to ask you the question, you know, uh, what what assets are going are gonna to do best now? I mean, that's an impossible thing to answer. But it, perhaps a better question is, if these con- trends continue and the assets that have done well continue to, to do well, what what where will it make sense to be? But also, is there anything about the current situation that now bring new assets into consideration simply because valuations have changed? I mean, you 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 spoke about gilts and what's going happening to to yields and all the rest of it. Is there anything now that that looks much more attractive? Well, I mean, I think the first point that I would make uh, on this uh, topic is that I think the uh, the general consensus is that we may well see a further weakening in the pound um, because of um, because of all the things that we that we have talked about. Now that that actually does present an opportunity for uh, for a diversified investor because if you are holding uh, assets denominated in 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 the the dollar, for example, then in sterling terms, uh, they they may well appreciate just on the basis of um, uh, of um, foreign exchange. So I think it's a if you think that sterling is going to be weak, then it's a good argument for um, uh, maybe increasing your exposure to to overseas markets. And then you said in terms of valuations, you know, I think that what we're seeing with this rise in bond yields. Um, is that uh, fixed income is starting to become a credible um, uh, alternative uh, for, for, for investors uh, if you are able to uh, lock in um, higher bond yields, then uh, they may well go further in the short term. Uh, you may well lose money in the short term. But I think locking in um, the, the high yields that are on offer today um, uh, makes, makes sense. And then I think, you know, what we'll find is that, you know, uh, uh, valuations will come to the fore and some markets which have just been very out of uh, favour um, may well start to look interesting again. And, and I would include the UK in that. I mean, the UK has not been particularly out of favour, but it's a very value focused market. It's got exposure to the areas of the market which you know, are likely to do well in an inflationary environment because of the the weighting of sectors within uh, the the UK market. So at some point, the UK is going to look interesting as well. Okay. Okay. Well, Tom, we've covered loads there, I think, today. Um, And that is definitely all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast 
podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.